on CAMIH 88.9 The Bridge. Welcome back to my show, Garden of Eden. It's Garden of Eden, and I'm your host. I talk about what I like most. Garden of Eden! (laughs) This is part two of my social media series. In last week's episode on social media, which you can listen to on Spotify if you just look up Garden of Eden and Sort by Podcasts, I broke down a survey that I sent out about social media use, and then I just discussed social media in general with my friend Kate Frankie. In this week's episode, I'm going to be interviewing Lila Shroff and discuss more the political side of social media and how social media threatens democracy. Let's get right into it. Okay, I'm joined here with Lila Shroff, a Mercer Island alumni and last year's student general manager of the radio station. Lila, do you want to introduce yourself, say more about um, what you're doing right now, what your plans are? Sure. Yeah. Thank you, Eden, for having me virtually here today. Um, Like Eden said, I graduated MIHS this spring in a slightly unusual fashion. And I decided um, that before heading to college in um, the fall, I actually decided I was going to take a gap year and um, start school in September of 2021. So I'm currently exploring my gap year and a bunch of different opportunities and exciting things. Um, and I've been living actually in South Korea since the middle of August, and I'll be here for a bit longer doing some remote work, some writing, and and um, thinking a lot about the media ecosystem and how it affects democracy, um, and, which is why <laughs> I think I- What a segue. <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> but you know, it's true. It's something that I've been really excited to like be able to spend time, you know, not being in classes has given me time to like really explore these big problems and think about things. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about what you're thinking about studying in college and what your what more of your interests are? And by the way, Lila is going to Stanford, got a name drop that. Very cool. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I'm pretty undecided specifically on like what my major will be. And I kind of joked that like I rolled out med school and that's it. But when people ask what I want to study, my go-to answer right now is some combination of media, politics, psychology, and business and tech. So it's sort of like a long answer, but I think they actually intersect in a number of ways. So if you think about that, like media tech component, we have all these, you know, media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it is. And then you know, from a policy perspective and like like a psychology perspective, these platforms have figured out how to, you know, act in ways that optimize their own economics and revenue and, you know, business incentive. And then policy, we're sort of discussing like, what does regulation look like for, for these platforms in 2020? And so I think it's less unrelated than it seems. Oh, no, I think especially now it seems super related. I think if you flash back 15 years ago and told someone that, they would be like, what? But now they're totally interconnected. I started off by just simply asking how social media even threatens democracy and how the two are related. How does social media affect democracy? Um, Really big question a lot of people are grappling with. But I think what's been really interesting to watch and sort of disheartening in um, the past few years is this sort of polarization of the internet and you have these news sources 
that are just putting out different truths into the world, like what you see on a really left-wing platform and a really right-wing platform, um, just don't tell the same narrative. And so if you flash back to the middle of the 20th century, when there were three cable networks on TV, you could sit down and pretty much guarantee that whatever I'm watching on TV is probably pretty similar to what Eden's watching on TV. But there's been this sort of explosion of like so many different niches and you can get pretty much any type of publication or like type of information you want. And so what that does is it like, just first of all, people are living in these different realities of what's going on in the world. And so I think it's easy to say like, oh, that person who has a completely different opinion from me is crazy. Or like they are, you know, it's really easy to disagree. But the problem is, is that, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, I tend to think that a lot of people have the same sort of goals and desires in life, but that, you know, we're living in these very different perspectives of what's happening. So it's sort of hard to align on like what the truth is and like, you know, um, mm-hmm. but the, so, so, but like we can back up a, a bunch. And so like, if you look at like, Facebook, for instance, Facebook wasn't designed with the intention of, you know, I don't know if you got, you've watched the movie, um, The Social Network, very similar to The Social Door. I haven't seen that yet. But the, like, okay, so sort of like the Facebook founding story. And of course, it's dramatized for the screen and so forth. But, you know, there's this period of time where people were saying, look at this role Facebook's having in, you know, the Arab Spring and in these countries where they're able to connect people and come together to uh, like overthrow these, you know, damaging governments and people are joined together and so much positive change. And that was all great, but it's sort of caught up to this point where it's like in the same way. So I'll, I'll back up and say one of the things about these platforms is that there's a tendency for people with more extremist views to gain traction and find a voice that might not otherwise have this opportunity. So, and I should say all of the stuff I'm talking about is like in reference to a bunch of different articles and publications and podcasts I've listened to. So none of these are like coming, coming from me. This is a collection of a lot of interesting thinking. So I can try to refer you all to some interesting sources at some point, but, but basically what's happening is that, you know, in your town of Mercer Island, if you're interested in some really weird, random thing, I'm trying to think of an example. I see like, like, let's say you're interested in like building snowmen or doing snowman competitions. Like that's a really weird thing to like, if you are, good for you. But you're, it's hard to find people whose interests align with that. But what the internet enables you to do is you can find a ton of people interested in also like hosting snowman building competitions. And so all of a sudden these like really like small groups of people are able to find larger communities that previously weren't able to and then what happens is that you know these weird things are the things we stick that stick on the internet like I don't really care if you're like you know if you if you're just doing some like really normal thing it doesn't like spark interest on the internet I'm not stopping to ask like oh like you you run it's like it's like that's something really normal something you're aware of but you hear about somebody doing a snowman building competition and you're like wow that's really like weird and it kind of captures your interest and so that's a very like nice way of thinking about it a little bit like less of a nice way of thinking about it is that people with maybe sort of radical intentions, political beliefs that might not otherwise be tolerated in like the moderate version of the political world that happens in, in like physical spaces tend to prolifer- proliferate on these digital spaces because first of all, small groups can come together. And then second of all, they generate a lot of attention and not always in favor. But you know, if you look at the far left or the far right, people, one of the reasons these posts gain so much traction is because they rile people up. And so somebody might say like, hey, I really disagree with that. Like, let me share this and show you how ridiculous the other side is being. 
and and that goes for both sides, right? I don't think it's like, you know, both sides are able to sort of generate this buzz. And so in some cases it's used positively and these like, you know, groups under, you know, some like some sort of strict rule that might not otherwise be able to come together, able to form communities and um, sort of revolutionize whatever society they're living in and change how the rules of that society and so forth. So there's positive applications, but then there's also like, what happens when people with bad intentions and define that as you will, but I think there's definitely malicious actors that are very radical beliefs that congregate on the internet and drive hatred and negativity and are able to have a platform in ways that they wouldn't without the internet. Now, I wanted to get a little bit more into the political polarization that social media causes and get more to the root of the issue. I think one question people are having is, is are these like huge amounts of polarization and you know the fact that masks have been politicized and things like that are they the result and like it's just looking at like the sort of like political mess that we're in leading up to the election is this the result you know directly of of something the internet's done that our institutions haven't you know caught up with or is this you know the internet is sort of just showing the symptoms of what's really a larger problem of wealth inequality or something like that so and I don't think it's one or the other. I think there's both. There's underlying problems and the internet probably isn't necessarily facilitating or at least aiding these problems. Um, so there's one theory that like there's two different realities. There's our digital reality and our physical reality and that they're not necessarily entirely compatible. So like I was saying before, the physical reality tends towards moderation. You'll get most politicians, they tend to appease sort of everybody. If you watch the most recent vice presidential debates, you know, on the Democratic side, they're like, yes, like climate change is bad, but like, no, we won't get rid of fracking. And like, you can definitely see how there's different political interests that are being appealed to. And then on the flip side, on the digital side, there's the tendency to give way to extremism and radicalism that wouldn't manifest isn't much in the like more moderate um political physical scene another difference is that on the internet your identity is sort of indispensable like it's like I can be 10 different people and I can be a fake person that doesn't exist I can say crazy things and nobody is going to come after me for it but if I were to say that same thing shouting on a street corner or yell something crazy in the school cafeteria you know I only have one physical reputation and that reputation and much more protective of. Um, those are two interesting themes. And so I think what that enables to happen is a lot of these fringe ideas or beliefs that don't necessarily represent a majority in the real world take up a majority of the space online. So Lila, social media consumes so much of our time. Can you speak a little bit more on that and why these big social media companies even want our attention? One thing is that also these companies are driven by advertising and so I'm sure you talked about this sort of in some of the like themes of addiction but like the whole point of like you know Instagram makes money the longer I'm staying on the more ads I'm seeing same thing with Twitter and like we we're saying before you know just seeing like mundane boring stuff I agree with isn't capturing my attention it's seeing like crazy things where I have to screenshot it and send it to a friend in a group chat or you know, sometimes it's humor, but more often than not, it's things that trigger intense feelings of like anger or surprise, or unfortunately, it's not catering to like, oh, happy, feel good, warm and fuzzy all the time, but things that give you that sort of emotional sense of, oh, this is interesting. Another issue. So if you just think about, as a caveat, I haven't watched The Social Dilemma yet, so I don't know how this fits in, uh, but 
if you think about different types of content, they've gotten shorter over the years. So first think about blog posts all the way down to Twitter. Then think about like long form YouTube all the way down to TikTok. Song lengths are getting shorter because on Spotify, songs are monetized based on like how many listens they get and the listen counts as a listen after 30 seconds. So an artist that puts out an album with 22 songs versus 10 songs is going to get more money. And so in all of these different content forms, there's this like shorter and shorter forms that are coming about. And that also really is a problem when it comes to like talking about information. Like if I say one idea in a tweet, I might propose some like thing, some economic policy I support or something. And you're like, wow, that sounds like a great idea, right? Because I've explained it in like 200 characters and there's absolutely no nuances, but a lot of these problems are much larger. And so if I really want to understand what's happening, I need to read a longer article, but because our attention spans, there's like debate whether they're shortened or not, but you know, we're so focused on these like bite-sized pieces of information that like people aren't spending enough time processing really large amounts of information. And so that's actually something like during this gap year I really enjoy doing is, you know, thinking about these big problems and spending a lot of time with them, not just getting a little snack of them (laughs) from Twitter in passing. If you think about a lot of these big problems in our world, like, is there a solution to world peace? Is there a solution to things like that? It's like, okay, like, you know, maybe there's not like a, oh, that's the answer and it clicks and it fits. It's more of like a constantly evolving process where you can come up with, come up with ways to improve. And also the way, the, the, you know, whatever solution we find for Facebook today, if we find ways to fix problems on Facebook in the future, it's not going to be Facebook. So, so it's like a constantly evolving question. But I do think there are ways. So like one big thing right now is the discussion of section 230. I don't know if you've heard about it, but so 230, pretty much what it does is it says, Eden, you as like the Eden social media network, if you start your own social media network, aren't responsible for what I say. Because think about it, if you as a social, like if Facebook's responsible for what everybody says on it, that opens them up to a lot of legal liability. And so, you know, it's really hard to like moderate like millions and millions of posts and so forth. But at the same time, there's this line between like hate speech, which shouldn't be permitted on a platform and like, what are they liable for? What does need to be regulated? There's questions of, am I a common citizen subject to the same guidelines as a president who has a lot more potential to affect the opinions of others and send reverberations like, you know, if his tweet could affect his, well, her maybe someday in the future, um, uh, could affect the stock market, right? Or could have these like, you know, could trigger an extremist group, you know, like there's just like certain like implications, especially with the sitting president, where it raises the question of like, how are these rules applied to different people? But I wanted to talk a little bit about solutions. So I asked Lila if she had any or if she knew of any that had been kind of tossed around or just any thoughts on what can be done to help the problems that social media has created. In terms of solutions, it's a really big question, but there's definitely a call for some of these big tech companies to do more in terms of their responses to these issues that are originating on their platform. So recently, there's been movements and actions both by Facebook and Twitter. So a recent thing is Twitter has done. I want to say starting October 20th, that might be a lie. Um, I don't know if that's the past, the present, or the future when you're listening to this. But Twitter said they're going to add more friction to retweeting. So instead of just clicking a button where I automatically retweet um, an idea, I'll be prompted to actually um, 
fill out, like, like they'll ask me if I want to quote tweet it, which is like add my own commentary to it. And so what that's asking people to do is think about like, are you just meaninglessly spreading information or are you adding to the discussion? Do you have something to contribute? Like, why do you want to share this information? On Facebook, there's been sort of a purge of QAnon Facebook groups that are like, People pushing these conspiracies, you know, Facebook was more hesitant to act, but is now saying like, okay, we're getting rid of hundreds of QAnon groups. Um, an interesting thing to think about is when they're looking at disinformation. So misinformation is like unintentional spread of inaccurate information. Disinformation is intentional. And if you look back to the 2016 elections, there was a lot of anger directed towards foreign actors that were spreading disinformation. This time around, they're saying it's actually a lot more domestic people, like like domestic accounts causing issues. So, you know, like you can say Russia this, China that, but when it all comes down to it, it's a lot of problems in the U.S. And there's this thing called coordinated and authentic behavior. And it, it, it's sort of what it sounds like. It's sort of like this nebulous term, but it's also like, you know, intentional action that's false on social media. And so the way actually a lot of these social media companies search for ways to take down content isn't just about like, if you make a one-time post that raises a red flag, but sort of the behavior of an account and repetitive sort of actions that seem like they call for some examination, I guess. Cracking down on that has been interesting to watch. The argument of whether or not social media is good or bad is not black and white. I want to talk a little bit more about addiction and reliance on technology and the way technology has become and the way social media has become ingrained in our society and the degree to which it's negative or positive. So, like, I feel like an interesting comparison is if you think about, like, alcohol or drugs or, like, these different sort of things that we know as society aren't good for people, yet they are associated by people with some degree of pleasure or stimulus. Or, like, there's a reason people go back to them, right? Like, or cigarettes. When you're addicted to cigarettes, you're not like, oh, great, I know this is healthy for me. You know that, like, you know, there's a lot of negative complications, yet people keep going back to them. And I think over time, there's been more education and, and so forth. And I don't think it's like a fully great metaphor, but I think the idea is just because we know something's bad for us doesn't mean we're necessarily just going to like be like, okay, cool, we're stopping using it. We're going to stop using it. Another thing is there's endless issues with social media. There's also like benefits that come from it, right? Like one common misconception is like this idea of like, you know, echo chambers and these bubbles where you're like only exposed to information that, you know, sort of like confirmation bias, um, which reaffirming your own beliefs. But at the same time, you're also exposed to a lot more ideas on the fringe that, like, you probably wouldn't, you know, going to school on Mercer Island, um, you're not going to hear this, like, crazy story from a kid in Georgia or something's happening across the world. You know, it's not a question of whether digital information and social media platforms are going away because, if anything, they're becoming more and more embedded, especially, like, in this COVID time with so many people so separated. It's becoming this way people stay connected but it's sort of how do we engage with them in a healthier way. And I do know what you mean that like a lot of people are sort of reaching this point of, okay, I'm done. Like I know myself personally, I feel like I'm so invested in this election news cycle that I'm kind of like living on (laughs) Twitter sometimes um, when there's lots of news coming out, especially with the like whole president COVID situation. I was like trying to see what's happening, but I've told myself like post-election definitely headed in 2021 I'm just getting off social media maybe indefinitely maybe not probably not um because as idealistic as that sounds I've done that before I've been off social media for a long time and I always sort of come back somebody told me once like oh people have a tendency to like view whatever technological change their generation is living in as like this like you know really marked like 
wow but like there was a point where it was like oh like books the kids are reading so many books so <laughs> like, <laughs> exposed to all these new crazy ideas so like I don't think it's like inherently like bad to be reliant on technology I think like I personally find that like for me myself the biggest threat is like you know time is our most valuable resource and, and asset and it's like I don't want to waste my time living on social media in a way that's like not productive or like actually helping me feel better and I think the decision to not I'm going to try, you know, what it's like just not engaging with social media. And I think it's, I think it'll give me a lot of my time back. Um, like all of like the second half of junior year, most of senior year until COVID, I didn't have Instagram on my phone. I didn't really like, you know, I sort of use Snapchat, but only to communicate with a few people. Um, but, you know, I didn't need those platforms. I felt much happier without them. And I know that right now that I will feel happier without them, yet I continue to have them on my phone. I don't know why, um, even though I know very well that I'm not going to. But I'm t- like I said, I think it sort of need a clean reset. And yeah, I've also been trying to do um, working on some like political engagement through social media right now, pre-election. So I sort of feel like tied to it. Um, but reading about people who like just haven't been on it for like years and like it just seems like it gives you so much more ability to like focus and like deeply think about problems and be productive and that I think is great. Next I think Lila had a really great analogy that she explains during this part about how she thinks about her own social media use. So I was actually on a podcast a few days ago and I was speaking about like this idea of like your media diet and how somebody else said that's not me. I don't know who I feel bad. I need to like know who to attribute all these ideas to. But somebody was talking about the idea like, you know, they say you are what you eat, but how about like you are what you consume in terms of media. I like to, so I'm just gonna flesh out this analogy in the cringiest of possible ways, but here we go. When you wanna eat a diet, you want a balanced diet, right? Like you don't want just your like carrots or just your sugar. You want a little bit of everything. So that's how I see getting different perspectives. Like, you know, if you're typically aligned more with like left-wing politics, watch the debate on Fox News and see like the different narrative that's being dispelled or whatever. In the same sort of way, like with your diet or whatever you're eating, like you don't want to overload yourself. You want to like everything in moderation. Too much of one thing is never good. There's the addicting stuff that's the the stuff you keep coming back to, even though it doesn't make you feel good after you eat it, which is the like, you know, spending two hours on TikTok like there's just so many ways to take this forward but I think when you think of it like that and like you want to put in what makes you healthy so what makes you healthy you're going to be like spending a long time on reading articles that actually like force you to think about things or if you're communicating communicating with people who you it's difficult right now too because I want to be able to say like people who are able to like maintain their relationships with offline but I know that's not like entirely feasible now what are your social media habits as for specific, like my media consumption habits, let's walk through it. A, a well, I don't know if they're good. They might be bad, but <laughs> I have the like one hour timer set so that after I spend an hour on like Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, not independently, but like on all of them, it like times out on my phone. It's not like a foolproof thing because you can like, click through two buttons and you're like, yeah, I got through back to <laughs> 15 more minutes. Um, but um, I've also been subscribing to a lot of newsletters recently. A lot of journalists are going to newsletters as a way to like push out content. So um, 
one guy's name is Casey Newton. He his previous newsletter was the interface. His new one, which started like this week, was the platformer or just platformer. And it's all about like, you know, what's going on on these platforms and how they're being regulated. And it's really interesting. I recommend that. Lila has a lot of really, really helpful and interesting ways that she avoids misinformation, the ways that she gets news that she knows she can rely on, and also ways that she avoids the trap of social media and having it consume her time. So she's going to share some of her secrets during this part. Okay, first things first is sources. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but like I trust, and and there's a lot of dispute, right? Like I might say I trust like the New York Times or Washington Post and somebody else might not feel that way at all. But places that I feel do good journalism where I know they're fact-checking. And then also like I'm really skeptical when I read the news. I don't take anything, I don't want to take anything for granted and believe what it says to be true. And I think that's a healthy mindset to have is that, you know, especially when it comes to numbers and data, it's so easy to see a graph and be like, that's ridiculous. But like, sometimes you have to like, look at like, how was that graph made? Like, is this only showing me like a certain, like, you know, maybe this is showing me the past five years or the past 60 years, just something completely different. Um, So I think like a healthy skepticism towards everything. This is sort of ironic actually, but I have been getting news from Twitter, which I think is sort of a dangerous slippery slope. What I've done is I've sort of, curated a following of people I follow who I trust and maybe that's naive but like you know for example I follow maybe like 10 COVID doctors who seem to be sharing things that the news picks up on a bit later and they seem to be pretty you know they're once talking about the aerosol transmission of COVID much before some of these institutions are saying anything so Um, both with the two sort of expert areas I'd say I really follow are like disinformation and media internet experts and then like COVID doctors (laughs) and (laughs) I think it just sort of ironic to be following these like internet people on Twitter but it's also dangerous right like you could easily follow somebody who you take their word to be the truth and they're just spewing nonsense so I don't know if that's really a good recommendation Um, in terms of social media I've sort of like to adopt the stance of like I used to um try a lot harder to like uh, look at every post and see what everybody was like actually sharing but like I really recently like stopped caring like I sort of like post stuff for myself but I don't really like keep up with what everybody else is sharing because it's just too tiring I'm like you know this is a lot of information that's like not really that helpful um and I think my like you know 2021 hope is to move to a media lifestyle where I'm able to have some sort of like outward facing blog on the internet where it's both sort of a way for me to save my own thoughts and ideas and photos and sort of like document what I'm up to if anybody's interested in seeing in a way that's still sort of like semi-curated but less focused on appealing to the standards of Instagram and more like hey I just read this really interesting article here are my thoughts on it or like hey this is what I did in the past month here's a photo collage and I'm really interested in like playing around with like fun ways to design and like put that information out there and I think it's as much of it as you know, if you're interested in what I'm doing, cool, check it out. But it's also for me to sort of keep like a little log of what I'm doing. Um, that's sort of like an interesting idea that I want to explore. I have one other thought. I think and uh, this, is, this, this is sort of like less about social media. I'll just interject this super quickly. But one thing I've also found interesting is um, finding different spaces digitally that feel like healthy and calming. So like, it's kind of like ridiculous to be like, oh, just like don't go on your computer right now, right? Or like don't use, like if you have 
you know, don't be on your phone or, or whatever it is, because people are so connected like this to like not be on Zoom or to not be whatever. But I think like using different apps, especially, this is such a small change, but it's really affected how I like move through my virtual space is instead of just opening things up with another tab in Chrome, having like the desktop version of apps. So for example, Notion is like a note-taking app that I've recently really loved that's um, pretty like minimalist aesthetic in a way. And instead of just opening it up in Google Chrome, I have the like desktop app for it. And so I've been playing around with writing a lot recently. And it's such a small thing, but like if I'm on Chrome and I have a Google Docs open and I'm writing and I want to look something up and then I get bored or then I get distracted, I like go down this rabbit hole really fast where I just get distracted and like am unfocused. But when I open up like my desktop version of Notion and it's just this clean page with nothing else on it and there's a tiny added friction of having to like click on Chrome and go to the internet, I like focus and write a lot better because it's just less distraction. So I'd say getting rid of any um quick tips would be like getting rid of any sort of unnecessary distraction and then also like streamlining like um one problem I was having earlier like just a few weeks ago was I have so many messaging apps but the problem is I can't delete them because I communicate with people on all of them so I currently have seven messaging apps I regularly communicate with people so it's like you know messages WeChat WhatsApp messenger group me like I could go on and on and it's so annoying and so you know I just like put them all in one place and then except for like you know if I'm communicating with somebody I'm about to meet just like check them once and then you know in the morning once at night or just like you know having like really like specific times and like boundaries of like when you're online and when you're not okay Lila thank you so much for joining me yeah thank you so much for having me on here it's been really great talking to you and sort of exploring some of these themes Okie doke. That concludes my interview with Lila Schroff, which was fascinating. I'm so grateful that I got her on here as a guest because she has so much to say that's just so interesting. And now to kind of wrap up this episode, I wanted to just candidly share my thoughts on the whole thing. This is not, I don't have any notes. This isn't scripted or anything. I, having done so much research on social media and talked about it so much over the past few weeks, it's hard for me to come to any real conclusion because I don't think this is one of the topics that you can really come to a conclusion on. Whether or not social media is good or bad is something that even though at first I'm tempted to say, yes, social media is bad. It doesn't add anything positive to society. I think at the end of the day, it's so much more nuanced than that. And I think I just need to be hyper aware of the way I interact with social media and those around me do too because I'm the master of my own destiny. I I can choose the way that I want to interact with it and I I think that that's this, just the same as everybody else and if someone chooses to spend a ton of time on their phone then so be it because it's not up to me. And I think a lot of these issues are really scary to me and sometimes I can overthink them in my head. But kind of what Lila was talking about a little bit in this episode, I think any major change or something new and different becoming integrated in society is a little bit of a frightening thing. And over time, I think it will become a little bit more normal, especially when we're not in the political climate that we're in right now. Because 
everything is so crazy right now and is being only fed by social media and the internet. And I think after the election, I will be feeling a lot better about things because hopefully stuff will, will cool down a little bit. I think I picked an interesting time to do this episode because social media has really hit its climax for the year or for, I guess, for my entire life because it's never been so prominent to me personally. But anyway, I wish that there was a really satisfying way for me to end this off, something final for me to drop that is closure in a sense, but I just don't think that there really is. And I can totally see myself picking back up on the topic of social media and our interactions with technology and the way technology is progressing later this year. Like I, oh my gosh, I can almost guarantee I'll talk about it again. Uh, So I guess stay tuned for that. I hope whoever's listening enjoyed this episode. And if you watched the last episode on social media, enjoyed the series. I really enjoyed this format and putting this together. And I'm super excited for the rest of the year to keep delving into these topics that I'm super interested in. But for now, this has been Eden on KMIH 88.9 The Bridge with my show Garden of Eden, which you can listen to every Saturday at 10 a.m. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day.